We're into three seasons now, about eight episodes. And um, if you download the app and look for uh, Angel Studios app or the Chosen app, it's been viewed around 557, 993,000 times or something like that. So if we all pull in together today, we can get that big click over and get to 548 million views um, of this series by the end of the day. And I think what it does, um, and, and I'll kind of share myself, um, the biggest impact it's had on me once we kind of do our little table activity, but I think what it does is, and what you were able to see hopefully up there, is just the personality of Jesus, you know, and it's, it's a retelling. There's a lot of words that they used on there that you're not going to find in here. It's a reimagining. It is not a word-for-word -word translation or interpretation, but it's trying to take the heart of Jesus with these people, these broken people like you and me on this earth. And what was that like? And so what I'd love for you to do right now, we're just gonna take a couple minutes to do it, is there's some handouts on your table, there's some pens, but just whoever you're at the table at, just say hi, and I'd just love for you just to share, um, share what stuck out to you the most in that clip. What was the, the, the thing, the line, the character, whatever it was that, that stuck out to you the most, and what emotion did that create in you? Those are kind of the first two questions on that handout. So I'm gonna give you about two minutes to do that. Go ahead and share right now. I don't know if we've got a way to bring the lights up a little bit, perhaps. If you don't, that's okay. Perfect, that looks wonderful. All right, we're gonna wrap it up here. I know there's plenty to discuss and I hope you keep those discussions going, just kind of save them for labor, La save them for labor. I hope no one has a baby, but um, save them for later. And uh, you can take these sheets home with you today and keep talking about it. It'd be a great activity. But uh, yeah, what was something maybe um, that stuck out to a table? Who wants to volunteer something? Carter? No, not Carter. <laughs> Justin, what about you? What, what, what would you say stuck out to you? I'll repeat it so everybody can hear. We just talked about So here's somebody who's kind of stuck in the same old pattern, does the same old thing. Um, Jesus intersects her life, and she still doesn't quite get it. And then all of a sudden, wow, wait, uh-oh, jaw drops, door open up, and it's like, wow, okay, perfect. Thanks, man. Thanks for sharing. Somebody, uh, what about right in front of me at this table? Peyton, right? What's up? What, what stuck out to you, man? Right. So, so that right there, where, the, where they took that account and they kind of, again, they're, they're elaborating on what could have happened. They're not giving a word-to-word -word testimony, but that whole idea of Jesus wandered, you know, and I'm going to show you actually a map here in a few minutes about what journey he would have taken. And so he could have gone any direction that he wanted to, uh, but, but he picked that moment, that place, that time where that one woman was, and he counted on her and how amazing that was. So awesome. We'll do one more. Anybody from this side of the room want to speak up? Come on, I'm gonna have to call. Oh, that guy's smiling. Yep, sorry. You gotta keep a better, better face, brother. You gotta do better. <laughs> what stuck out to you? We said kind of the same thing as them, just her hesitation and, and just being dismissive. At yeah. First. Yeah. So the hesitation, right? I think that makes sense. We all get stuck in our patterns, all get stuck in our ways, and so then, for, therefore, it becomes hard to break out of that. It gets hard to break the pattern, it gets hard to break the cycle, because we just get stuck in our own, our own systems of how to do life and stuff. So, um, what stuck out to me? 
Um, was the humanity of Jesus, even the humor of Jesus, you know, like that idea um, is comforting to me. And that's the emotion that I felt. It's like, I felt relief watching. When I watch The Chosen, when I watch the scenes, when I watch how he interacts with all these people, there's a great sense of comfort and relief that comes into my heart because what I think we're used to is reading these, this, the, we're reading the ink on the page or we're, we're used to hearing it come from somebody's mouth and so it's just very black and white words. And so to see somebody, to see an actor give it life and to bring the humanity into the divinity to bring the humanity into the godness of it all, it really brings me comfort because it's like, oh, this is somebody that like, I would like to be around. This is somebody I would like to sit next to. This is somebody who would receive me. And so it brings relief to my soul to, to, to see Jesus and the embodiment of compassion, the embodiment of mercy, to see somebody act it out. And so that's very impactful um, for me. But um, what I wanna show you is the journey he was on, okay? So just to kind of set up this retelling, Jesus is on a journey. Jesus was in the south, he was in Judea. And so this is a map of Israel at the time of Jesus. And so. All all these words, you know, we don't know where these places are. It actually helps to have a nice little map. And so Jesus was in the south. He was in Judea when John chapter 4, that's where we're at, where he starts to his march north. And so he's moving towards Galilee, which is at the top. And then in the middle, we have Samaria. See that blue section, obviously. And that is where there was a great racial divide between the Jews and the Samaritans. This pops up, obviously, in the story. You're going to find it also in other places of the Bible. But there was a big racial divide. And so um, the Jews didn't like going into Samaria. The Samaritans didn't like going into the Jews. The woman herself, um, when she gets to the end of the story, she's talking about, I can't even go to God because the temple's in your place, and I don't have a spot to know who God is. But Jesus is on a walk, and you can see right in the middle of Samaria, um, it, should, it says Sychar. That's where we're at. That's where he's walking. That's where the well. The well is still there today, or at least where we think the well was. And there's some pictures you can find if you want to Google it. But that journey was a journey of about 70 miles of walking. It's about the distance between the journey that Jesus was on was about the distance of walking from here to Maryville, Missouri. Can you imagine doing that today? Nope. Can you imagine that it wouldn't take you a day? It would take you two and a half days right now to walk to Maryville, Missouri, Northwest Missouri State, where I went to school, right? So that would be hard. That would be long. That would be tiring. You would get thirsty, would you not? So it makes sense that when we see a well, that we're going to want to get a drink and get something to drink from that. Uh, my family and I just took a trip to Branson. Uh, we got back from Table Rock Lake area. And I try, even when my kids get thirsty, I try not to give them drinks in the car. Because then you know we're going to be stopping. And now, normally, I just want to get there and get back. Um, I don't think there's laws on that. Is there? No. <laughs> There's no, I don't think there's laws on that, but we try, we try and get there fast as we can. We try to get back as fast as we can. Um, and so we, we go down, we were on this trip. And unfortunately, my kids weren't the only thing to get thirsty on this long trip to, uh, on to Branson's four-hour trip. My coolant system got thirsty on my minivan. And so um, I, and I did like, I don't know, I don't know if it's the typical thing or not. It's kind of typical for, I think, a lot of us, perhaps me. Um, I did the thing where, like, I knew that it was kind of not right before I went down, but I just, I was like, I got this trip coming up. I don't know. If it's just like, it seems to be working okay. I'll just keep topping it off. Yeah. 
You know, like you just like, I'll just keep, it's, it's keeping fine. I'll just keep topping it off. The air conditioning was working. I just kept it topped off. I even got my jugs uh, of coolant from AutoZone. I threw them in the car. I was like, we're going to make it work because I, I got to go on this trip. I got to load up. We got to do this, you know. And so it wasn't until Thursday night that it actually like blew, like I could see it dripping from the bottom, you know, like I could never find a leak. Like even in my car, in my driveway at home before the trip, there was never a pool of coolant anywhere. But that night, Thursday night, is it starts dripping and leaking and I look in through the front and the grill and it's just, you know, and that was one thirsty radiator. Let me tell you that. I thought it was just a leak. And then I'm thinking to myself, like, I got to find a place to get it in. We're supposed to leave on a Sunday. And I mean, thank the Lord, right? <laughs> like, like called a mechanic on Friday morning. They're like, yes, we can get you in. Then they called me back. It's not just a coolant line. It's the whole radiator. Uh, but we can do it. And we'll have it done by the end of the day. And it was actually the most relaxing mechanical fix I've ever had. Because I just got to hang out at the pool all day. Like, I didn't even work. It's like, sounds good, you know? So I was at the pool all day while I was getting my radiator replaced. Um, but, but as I reflect on that, and as I reflect on this story, and I reflect on all the things that are kind of happening, you know, it just makes me feel like we're not that much different than a radiator in a lot of ways, in, in, in the sense that we are vessels. We're vessels. Did you catch that line? There was a very small line that the woman said, she says, how, how could you be next to this vessel? How could you interact with this vessel? And she had an understanding that you and I, human, humans, we are vessels, meaning we are created to be filled. We need to be filled with something. We need life. But over time, right, just like a radiator, just like, you know, my minivan had 70,000 miles on it, whatever, right? It picks up what? Nicks and tears. There's wear and tear on an engine. There's wear and tear on a coolant system. There's wear and tear on our vehicles. There's wear and tear on our lives. There's wear and tear on our souls. And so we get leaks. We spring leaks. We start to feel emptier. We start to feel more drained. And like myself, you know, what do we do? We just grab whatever we can to top it off. (laughs) And we just keep going, right? And you just top it off and top it off. And really, you're just thirsty the whole time until the whole thing breaks down and the whole unit has to be replaced, whether you want it to or not. And so instead of talking about a radiator, now we're talking about our hearts. Is that we look for things. We long for things. We need to be filled as humans. We're created to be filled. We're created for relationships. We're created for love. We're created for mercy and compassion. That's what keeps us going. We're created for purpose. But as we go through the day, as we put mileage on our souls, we leak. (laughs) We leak. And so we need something to fill us up and to keep us filled, which is where Jesus really speaks to this need in John 4, 14, where he intersects with this. In John 4, 14, Jesus says, Those who drink the water I give them will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. See, Jesus is speaking of a way to go through life where we can be both internally and eternally filled. There's a way to find a source of life where we're filled up from the inside out, not the outside in. What I'd like to do right now is just kind of read through the entirety of that scripture real quickly. 
and just kind of get ourselves in that mode and, and, and get ourselves in the mindset and just kind of to place ourselves in this story of the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman, how Jesus interacts with her and how he takes this conversation um, from a place of physical, spurt, phys, spirit, physical thirst to a place of spiritual thirst. So um, if you have a Bible, that's great. If you want to look up on our app or you can follow along, um, but I'm going to go ahead and read um, the whole passage, which is John 4, 4 through 18. I'm going to read that very quickly here. Jesus had to go through Samaria on the way. He was on a trip to Galilee, like we just saw on the map. Eventually, he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar, near the field that Jacob gave to his son, Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat warily beside the well about noontime. Soon, a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Jesus replied, if you only knew the gift of God, the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. But sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket, she said, and this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? How can you offer better water? than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed. Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give them will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water, then I'll never be thirsty again. I won't have to come here to get water. Go and get your husband, Jesus told her. I don't have a husband. The woman replied, Jesus said, you're right. You don't have a husband, for you've had five husbands, and you aren't even married to the man you're living with right now. You certainly spoke the truth. I'm going to stop it right there. This is a really interesting interaction. You know, I think we can all see how it plays out. We can see Jesus on a trip. We can see Jesus sitting by a well. We can see Jesus getting thirsty. We can see Jesus and this woman interacting and having this conversation. And then Jesus and this interaction, in this talking to this woman, he throws this really big curveball. <laughs> Go and get your husband. And it's like, what is, what's that about? What's he doing? And I think what he's trying to do is he, he's not just speaking to this woman. He's trying to get her to listen. You know the, the, the difference in that, right? Between listening, you know, like people speak to you, your kids speak at you, I speak at my kids, Right? <laughs> There's a difference between speaking at someone and actually listening and hearing. And sometimes you have to speak kind of loudly. Sometimes you have to say some things to really get someone's attention. And so Jesus is talking to this woman. They're interacting. It's hot. It's the middle of the day. She came to this well by herself because she had no community. Normally, you would come in the mornings. You think about right now, right? When, do you, when are you supposed to water your lawn? The morning or the night, right? Why? Because it's cooler. Same thing, if you're going to get water from a well, and if you're going to walk and carry, I don't know, how much you think those things weighed on her back, 80 pounds? Like, like a lot, of, a lot of, uh, that's heavy. See the distance she had to walk, and you had to walk and get your water and walk it every day. Every day you'd had to walk, get water, bring it back so that you could wash, so that you could cook, so that you could clean. You would go in the morning, or you'd go in the evening when it wasn't so hot. 
but because she was ostracized, because she had um, broken relationships within the community, because she wasn't accepted by the community, she had to go there by herself in the hot heat of the day so that she could just, um, just not have to suffer that scorn and that ridicule. It was the way she was making it. She was just making it through life. And so Jesus says, I want to get beyond the surface. I want to go a little deeper now. I want to get a way of talking about our physical thirst. We've kind of been beating around the bush. You and I, we've kind of been dancing around some things, but I really want to get to the core thirst that's going on. I really want to get down to the soul level. And by Jesus saying, go and get your husband, and her saying, you know, I, 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 actually, I, I don't have a husband, and him revealing that he knows all that about her, he's saying, I see you, I know you, and I know you're not okay. Because we can stop playing around here. We can stop dancing around on the surface of this issue. He goes, I, I know you, I see you, and I know you're not okay. If you were okay, you wouldn't be coming here in the middle of the day. If you were coming here, uh, if you were okay, you wouldn't have that attitude that you have. You wouldn't have that hardness around your heart. You wouldn't be living in that protective shell. And so Jesus takes it to a deeper level. He says, I want to get away from talking about just kind of this surface level thirsts. I want to talk about the deep core thirsts that are going unmet, unmet in your soul. See, as humans, we really have three core thirsts, three deep needs, three really big questions that we have to have answered in our lives or else we're not going to be emotionally healthy humans. And so the first need that we have is a need of identity. We have these three core, core thirsts in our souls. The first is identity, and that's a thirst for knowing who we are. What makes me me? Why am I unique? Who am I? When I say I'm Justin or Melissa or Richard, right? Like, what makes you Richard? What makes you Lance? What makes you who you are? How are you wired? What about your life experiences? We're always going through this trying to figure out who are we? We also have a deep core thirst for community, which is a thirst of knowing who do we belong to? Who accepts me for who I am? If I do have this identity, if I've kind of started to answer this question of who I actually am, who's willing to accept who I actually am? Who's willing to put their arms around me? Who's willing to take me in? Even when I mess up, even when I fail. We have a deep core thirst for purpose. For knowing what we're supposed to do with our lives for knowing why we exist in this world, to know why we are breathing. How are we supposed to go through life and not just keep topping it off, topping it off, topping it off, just getting by? How am I living with purpose within my existence? And so we have to have those thirsts met. There's no way around it. We have to have those thirsts met so much that we will grab whatever we can get our hands on to meet those thirsts, whether it's healthy for us or not. It's undeniable that you are going to reach out and try to fill your core thirst with something, with anything that promises to answer that question for who you are, who you belong to, 
and what you're supposed to do with your life. And so you look at how um, the woman at the well, the way her life trajectory went about it. It's her identity had become somebody who was kind of a, I don't know what to call it, other than a serial matrimonist. Five times married. That's a lot. Five marriages. And so you can see, and you can start to kind of deduce in that, that there was something in her where she got her identity from whoever she was with, or she got her identity from being married. She got her identity from this other relationship. And you can see how that affected her community. How in that society, in that place in time, that, that ostracized her. And so she didn't really have a community. And that actually drove her probably back into those relationships. Because if she couldn't have a safe place to be an unmarried woman, the only place she could then find was to be married again. Because that's what that culture talked about. And that's what that culture valued so highly, was being married and producing a family. And so because she didn't have community, that drove her back into kind of a backwards identity where she didn't really have an identity for herself. And you can see how then that affected her purpose in life. Because if she didn't really have a means to take care of herself, she didn't have a means to uh, produce income for herself potentially in that society, that means she had to be married just to keep a roof over her head. And so she found a, a system of life of like, I've got, I got to do whatever I can to be married. I got to do whatever I can to stay with a man because that's the only way I'm going to be able to put bread on my table. And how demeaning would that be over time where my identity doesn't really come from anything from in, within myself or what, however God's created in me. I can't find any community, any safe relationships around me. And so my only purpose now in life is to survive by making somebody else happy. That is a completely empty existence, and that is a deep core thirst that, that she was grabbing at and trying to fill up, and she was stuck, and Jesus sees that and says, I know you're not okay. See, our greatest problem is that we put other things in the internal spot that only Jesus was meant to occupy. We are these vessels, like a radiator. We're meant to be filled we're meant to receive love. We're meant to receive community. We're meant to know who we are. We're meant to have a purpose in life that is more than just surviving, just topping it off and hoping we can get by for another day. We're meant for so much more. But because we haven't encountered Jesus, or we think we might know who Jesus is. I love that. That was like, again, at what some of the tables right here said. That idea of like, you're just going about your day, right? You think you know who Jesus is. You think you know who the Messiah is. You think you know what all this stuff's about. And then you actually have an encounter. You actually meet him and you realize, I had no idea. Jesus says of himself that he is the living water. He is the water that quenches the thirst in the deepest part of our souls. Jesus isn't just a well. Jesus is the well, if you want to think about it like that. We have all these other sources which we draw life. We have lots of wells in life, lots of places that we can reach out for to get a drink of water, and it will fill our thirst temporarily. But Jesus just isn't just a well. Jesus is the 
well. Where when we draw from him, we get a renewed sense of identity, purpose, and community every day. How does Jesus quench our core soul thirsts? I think he does it like this. I think, first of all, what he does is, number one, he relocates our identity. He quenches our thirsts by relocating our identity so that our, our identity doesn't come from our works and our deeds. Our value doesn't come from what we do. Our value comes from what he did. And that's a really, really big shift. If there's one thing I think that's going to give you more emotional stability in your life, it's this. Because I think if you're, you know, and I I speak from experience because this is just, you know, part of life. It's like, I think we live on these emotional seesaws where when you do something good, you feel valuable, right? When you are successful, you feel pretty good about yourself, don't you? And then you start wanting that more and more. And you start to define your value by what you do. You start to define your value by your works, by your deeds, your image. But then we mess up. And there's that seesaw, right? You know when you're at the top and the person plays that nasty little trick on you and they jump off? (laughs) And you just bruise your tailbone? Did that not happen to you or are you just having some bad memories? I don't know. (laughs) It's awful. You're in free fall, right? You're at the top of your game. Life's good. Yeah. And it hurts. It's true, right? The, the bigger you are, the harder you fall, or the higher you are, the harder you fall. When our value, who we are, how we feel about ourselves, is based in what we do, we're going to be on an emotional roller coaster all the time. But when our value and our worth isn't in what we have done, but what Jesus did on the cross for us, then we have a kind of emotional security that can get us through whatever happens in life. When our identity is based off of our works, we're living the life of an earner. We're living the life of trying to prove that we're worthy to be loved. And the Bible is all about being an heir of being adopted into the family of God, of being a child of God, not because you've done anything, but just because he's your dad and he loves you. He loves you. So you don't have to prove anything to anyone ever to have eternal worth, security, and value. And so when we talk about and try and wrap our head around this idea of relocating identity, what we're trying to do is we're trying to say, okay, I'm no longer going to base my value, how I feel about myself, how I feel about my worth, off of my success and my failures. I'm going to base my value, I'm going to accept my worth off of what Jesus has done, off of Jesus' success. And I'm going to receive that. That's what happens on the cross. On the cross, when Jesus dies on the cross, there's there's an identity swap. Our sinful, broken identity and nature dies on the cross. And when Jesus dies, we receive his identity. We receive his name. So we relocate our identity. He quenches our thirst through that. He also quenches our thirst by renewing our sense of belonging. And the way I believe he does that is um, 
when we get, when we start to relocate our identity, not in our works, but in his works, not in what we do, but what he's done, then we can start to say, I'm sorry more. And that always renews community. When I go to you, when I've offended you, when I've messed up, because I can get through the shame now, the shame's not going to kill me anymore. To say, I really messed up. I was a really big butthole yesterday. Okay, like, like, and don't we need that? In our, like, whoever you call family, whoever you le- live with, right? Like, you are offending them daily. They are offending you daily. And it moves from annoyance to frustration, to anger, and then contempt, and then indifference. And you don't care what happens to them. You're just ready for it to be over. We need to continually, daily, renew our sense of community with each other. And the only way to do that is to own that I suck and that I mess up and to say, I'm sorry, and to not provide an excuse for it, and to not expect them to say sorry, because that's between them and Jesus, not, you know, like, you're not the mediator there. Because Jesus died on the cross and absorbed all of our sin and shame, we can admit to each other that we fall way, 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 way short of the humans we are created to be. And when I can come to you and say, I am sorry, I messed up, will you forgive me? It won't crush me anymore. And I can say I'm sorry as many times as I need to, to continually renew the community, because you need it, I need it, we need community. And the only way to renew it day after day after day is to say, I'm sorry. And again, because my worth isn't in my works anymore, my worth is in Jesus' works, I can say it. And I can forget if I messed up, and I can move on. I think lastly, the last thing Jesus does is he redirects our purpose. He quenches that core thirst for purpose by redirecting it. He gets it off of what we want and onto what he wants. (laughs) The way I think of this is in kind of the idea of kingdom. You and I were kind of masters at building our own little kingdoms, like anthills. I was mowing my lawn yesterday, and I was pulling up a big old tuft of grass right next to a stump, and there was an amazing amount of ants that came out at me. <laughs> like, they were really mad. Even my wife's like, wow, look at this. Like, get back. Like, get your feet away from that stump, because they are going to be all over your feet with their little pinchers. But I think about, like, I could live that kind of life. <laughs> I could live an anthill kind of life, where I scurry a lot where I build a lot of tunnels, and I think I'm doing a really cool job at making this really cool thing. But then I could look up and see this big figure, like, over me, right? Like, I think we need more of that. And I love how in the story of the woman at the well, her only purpose was to stay in a relationship enough to keep food on the table and a roof over her head. And Jesus... Jesus made her one of his main ambassadors. And did you see the difference in energy? Did you see the difference in personality? Did you see the difference in mood that came over her? When she went to the well, her purpose was just to survive. When she left the well, her purpose was to say, Jesus knows me. 
Jesus knows everything I've done, and he loves me, and you need to know that. And if you keep going in the story, she runs back to the town, and she becomes the main proclaimer, the main announcer to that whole community that Jesus is real, Jesus is here, Jesus loves me. Jesus loves me. Someone that's been married five times, and he loves me just as much as anyone else. And did you see how she changed? And that's what happens to us. When we get our minds and we get our purposes off of our little anthill kingdoms and we get caught up in the bigger picture of Jesus' kingdom and we start living for what Jesus wants to accomplish, we start to live for what Jesus wants to build, we find a new kind of energy that we just won't get when we're trying to build our own little anthill kingdoms. I'm going to read real quick how the story ends because um, they spent a lot of time talking about it. Can you go ahead and put that last scripture up for me, please? At the very end, they have this interaction about worship. And in six verses, about nine times, this word worship is used. I just want to touch on it here as, as we kind of get ready to close out. Um, Sir, the woman said, this starts in uh, 419. You must be a prophet, so tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship, while we Samaritans claim that it is here at Mount Gerizim where our ancestors worshipped? Jesus replied, believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship, while we Jews know all about him, for salvation comes through the Jews. But the time is coming, indeed it is here now, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. For God is spirit, so those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. And the woman said, I know the Messiah is coming. And doesn't that feel like where we're at? I know there's got to be a better way to do things. I know something. this world is not the way it's supposed to be. I know something's better out there. I know something's supposed to be coming. She called it the Messiah. I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called the Christ. And when he comes, he will explain everything to us. And then Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. That whole idea of worship, you know, sometimes it's confusing to us because it's a really religious word or we associate it with just music only, but that's just such a small slice of the real meaning of the word. See, when I think of the word worship and I think of what Jesus is trying to get us to do here, what he's trying to get us to see is he's, he's, he's looking into that thirst. He knows that we know that things aren't the way they're supposed to be. We know that there's a better life somehow, some way in front of us. He says, the Father, the one who created this whole world, and the one who's going to create it all again and remake this whole broken creation, he's here right now. And he's looking for people that will worship him. And when I think of that, I think about going to the well of Jesus every day, of looking at Jesus and who he is, what he did for us. I think about needing him more than we need anything else, just like water. I think about those people who are traveling and thirsty. You think about needing that water every day. See, worship is just adoration. 
It's admitting internally that I need something more than I need anything else and that I belong to something more than I belong to anything else. And I think that's what Jesus is inviting us into when he asks us to worship him. When he says the Father is looking for people to worship in their hearts. I love how they interpreted that in this clip. It's not about the temple you're at. It's not about what building you walk into. It's about the attitude in your heart. And do we look at Jesus as the ultimate well of our lives? Would you guys pray with me? Father, thank you so very much for the love that you have for us. Thank you that you were willing to uh, send Jesus into this situation. Thank you that you were able to, that you chose to send him through Samaria. Thank you that um, you chose to have that woman be there at that place and at that time so that you could explain a bigger, greater truth to us. I pray for all of us that we would help to, to think about what is it that we are hurting? Where is our thirst biggest? Is it in our identity, trying to figure out who we really are? Is it in our community, trying to figure out who we belong to? And, uh, or could it be our purpose? And so I, I pray, Father, that we would just leave here today um, willing to see whatever it is you want us to see, willing to hear whatever it is you want us to hear. Um, but more than anything else, we would see you, Jesus, as the ultimate well, the well that we need to go to and draw from every single day because that's the only way we're going to know what it's like to be filled internally and eternally through you. It's your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.